Uh, but let's, let's carry on with this series because uh, uh, we, we, we want to get through this series. And we've got one more week left after today. Um, did I leave anything out, honey, about what I needed to say or should have said? Or if you think of something, you can always come up and say it. Um, we are hanging out in Revelation, the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible, if you don't know. And we're going to be in chapter 3. We've been going through what we've called this series, Seven Letters to Seven Churches. We'll be traveling through these, these churches in a way, kind of talking about some of the context, the history, and the implications of what Jesus was telling the writer John to write and how it impacts and what it means for our life today. And so we're going to attempt to go through these uh, two of these churches again today, again, pairing them together because of the similarities. And uh, we're in chapter 3. Let's look at this. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus uh, telling John, basically he's dictating to John what to write. Again, reminder, if you, if you kind of lost on what all of this whole series is about, go to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, go to the sermon section, click there, hit this series, Seven Letters to Seven Churches, and you'll see the different ones over the last few weeks. Go to the very first one, and you'll hear a detailed introduction about this whole series, and that'll bring you to, up to speed kind of on the background and what this whole thing is about and what was going on at the time and bring it up to where we are. Let's look at this, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. It said, this is the message from the one who has, who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. He said, I know all the things you do, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. He says, wake up or be watchful. Strengthen what l little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Can you just say those words, hold to it firmly? Repent and turn to me again, he says. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected, as an unexpected, uh, as a thief. Verse uh, 4, yet there are some in the church... Who have not soiled their clothes with evil, they will walk with me in white. They are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Verse 6. And anyone with ears to hear must listen to what the Spirit and uh, listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Verse 7, we're going to jump through a few of these. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. So we've got Sardis, then we've got Philadelphia. He said, this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Verse 8, says, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. Verse 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, persevere, to go through severity, persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Verse um, 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Can you say that phrase? Hold on to what you have. So we told Sardis to hold firmly. Philadelphia to hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Verse 13, and anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much to understand. There's so much to know. We are so thankful that you cannot be exhausted. 
Your love cannot be exhausted. Your faithfulness, your kindness, all of who you are cannot be exhausted. We are continually on a journey of learning and growing in you. So, Lord, help us to dig in. Lord, help us to have tenaciousness. Help us to have perseverance. Help us, Lord, to have a fervency and a desire to not throw in the towel when we want to throw it in. Help us, O Lord, to learn today and grow in you. Help me to deliver it in a way that will honor you and help your people. I pray this now in Jesus' name, and everyone can say amen. Amen. I've titled this message, Hanging by a Thread. Hanging by a Thread. Anybody ever feel like your life sometimes is hanging by a thread? Anybody feel like, man, I don't know, this is about to give any minute now. Well, that, that phrase comes from what I can understand from a Greek mythology story of Dionysius and Damocles. Anybody ever heard of that? Some of the theater people have. The thespians among us. Or those who are just fond of literature. Or both. Dionysius invited Damocles over for a banquet. I'll give you my short end of the stick of this story. He invites him over for a banquet. Damocles was a flatterer, and he loved to do that. And... Dionysius, where he set him at the table, when Damocles looked up above him, he saw this sword kind of hidden naked, and it was hanging by hair. And when he looked up and he saw that, Damocles realized the type of position he was in. He was in a very peril, uh, very unstable, a dangerous position. His flattery was not going to get him anywhere anymore. And so whenever you hear that phrase, hanging by a thread, it means whomever that is about, or yourself, meaning you're in a very volatile, perhaps unstable place. And sometimes life can feel that way. Sometimes seasons of life can feel that way. For Sardis and Philadelphia, the two churches, they were hanging by a thread. Jesus writes and tells, tells John, or says and tells John to write these things, these letters to these churches. And Sardis, just give you a quick background about the city. The city of Sardis was, a, was one of the oldest and most, the best defended cities of its time. It was a very wealthy city. It dealt with wool and textile, textiles and jewelry and things of that nature. And in 17 AD, though, an earthquake destroyed the city. They rebuilt the city, but it was deteriorating from within. Uh, What once was an impenetrable city had been attacked and conquered twice due to its lack of watchfulness. It failed to pay attention to what it needed to pay attention to. And like the city, the church had found itself in the same position. It was failing to pay attention to what it needed to give attention to. And Jesus writes, in every one of these letters, he opens the letter up with John to say, this is from the one who, or something along those lines. And he says, this is from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God. It doesn't mean there were seven spirits of God. We know there's three in one, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it, it piggybacks off of from the um, detailed prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 11 that describes the seven men, the manifold spirit of who Jesus is says he has wisdom and understanding says he has counsel and might and knowledge and he and he's and he walks in the fear of the Lord and 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 so he's saying this the complete and perfect spirit of God 
So Jesus is wanting John, wanting the church to know, wanting us to know that when he speaks, he is complete and he is perfect in what he says. That he knows exactly what he's talking about. Again, giving the introduction to each letter as he knows who he is and he knows what he wants to say and he wants us to get it. Amen. He's the complete and perfect spirit of God. And he goes on, he tells him, he says, I know about you, you have a reputation for being alive spiritually, but really you're just dead. You have a shell around you, but there's nothing happening really on the inside of your church. And Jesus, he gave a parable about this in Matthew 25. Matthew wrote, wrote about it, about the parable of the ten bridesmaids. They, they loaded up their, their selves, got ready, took their lamps and their oil. They were going to meet the bridegroom. And uh, the bridegroom was delayed in coming, and five of them packed extra oil. Five of them did not. The five that did not pack extra oil, their lamps were running low on oil. Therefore, their light would not shine. Therefore, they would not be seen when the bridegroom came. And so they said, we need some oil. Give us some of yours. The ones who had, had it, they said, no, go get your own. And um, meaning you can't piggyback on the, sh- on the coattails of someone else to get to Jesus. You've got to decide you're going to do it yourself. And so they said, well, we got to go buy some. So they went to go buy some, and by the time they got back, the bridegroom came, saw the, the five who had plenty, took them in, and when the others that came back, they were too late. They knocked on the door, and they could not get in. I think one of the biggest meanings of that is we need to make sure we have enough oil in our lamps, meaning we need to pay attention to what is happening on the inside of us. We need not ignore We need to pay attention. Sardis, the church at Sardis, failed to pay attention to what was going on. And so Jesus says, hey, wake up, be watchful, pay attention to what is going on right now. And he says, strengthen what remains. In other words, reinforce yourself. Reinforce yourself. He said, because what little you do have is actually dying. You need to revive who you are. He's calling the church to revive, to reinforce itself. And he says, you need to go back to what you first learned and just do that. If we were honest, we could say sometimes we complicate matters more than we should. We, we sit around thinking we've got to have some greater revelation than what has already been revealed. Not that... Fresh revelation is not to be asked of the Lord. Paul, he said, I pray that you will be given a spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation so that you may know. Absolutely. But hey, what have we done with the last thing? Right? What have we done with the last thing? And and he, he tells them, you need to go back to what you first learned and just do that. Because here's the reputation about your church is you look alive, but when people see you, you're not alive. You have nothing to offer. You can't do anything in this world. You can't make a change for my kingdom because you really don't have anything. And here's, that's the truth is we can't give what we don't have. We can't give what we don't have. So he says, hey, go back to what you first learned, do it. In other words, don't drift away from what you originally knew, what you originally practiced. Don't drift away from those things. And he tells them with an emphasis, hold on to it firmly hold on to it firmly get a grip 
on it. And he goes on, he tells them, hey, not everybody in the church is, is, is in a slumber. Not everyone is that way. Those who aren't that way, those who are not in a slumber, need to stay awake with God. They need to keep paying attention. But then he ends it, that you need to hear what the Spirit is saying. Those of you who are spiritually dead, you need to pay attention and you need to go back to what you first learned and hold on to those things. In other words, don't let those things go, right? Philadelphia. It was founded around 1789 B.C., long time ago, by the king of Pergamum. We church, talked about that church last week. He named it in honor of his love for his brother, where the term brotherly love comes from. The city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia there, in Turkey, brotherly love. The city was nearly destroyed by that similar or same earthquake in 17 A.D. It did some rebuilding as well, but here's the thing. They lost, or they were losing, their grip on what was important. As the city did, so did the church. The church, instead of changing the tide, the church was barely hanging on. And Jesus speaks this thing into them, and he says, I am the one who holds the keys of David. Whatever door I open, no one can close. Whatever door I close, no one can open. And he says, I have actually opened a door for you to walk through. In other words, I still have a purpose for your life. I still have something planned for you. I have some things ahead of you that what you perhaps have gone through is not all there is. There is more to come. There is greater things yet to be done. And he says, I have opened this door that no one can close it, but here's the deal. You have to walk through it. I feel like I'm preaching to myself after all those words and all those encouragements and those prophecies this, given this morning. God will open the door. No one can close it. But we got to be the ones to walk through it. No one can walk through the door that God opens for you. God opens a door for you to walk through. Amen? And so he says, I've opened this door for you to walk through through and he says here's the thing i see you i know that you are weak right now you are weary because from you are weary from barely holding on you are weary from doing well what does the bible teach us to wait on the lord and we'll renew our strength in isaiah and then also in galatians he says don't grow weary in well-doing those things are great and when you read them but they're hard to actually follow through with sometimes right and but God never leaves us on our own. He supplies what we need. He supplies the strength, the grace, whatever we might need for any given moment and situation. He tells them, look, I opened the door for you to walk through it, and I get you're weak, you're, you have little strength, you've got little strength because you've been holding on this whole time, and you've been wondering, is anything ever going to change for me? Anybody ever ask yourself that? Is anything God going to be different? Anything going to change? And he tells them, he says, look, I see you and I'm for you. I just need you to keep holding on. I just need you to keep holding on to what you have. The message version says this. It says, keep a tight grip on what you have so that no one distracts you. See, we may hold on. This church was holding on, but they were loosening their grip because of whatever else was going on around them. They were so focused on all the different distractions. And here's the one thing about the enemy. If he can't make you let go of something for the Lord, he will put distractions all around you to make you focus on them instead of what you're holding on to. 
Because the tendency is when you are distracted, you loosen your grip. You loosen your grip. And he says you need to hold tight to what you have. And he ends it, as he ends all these letters, with listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. The church at Sardis, listen. You have let go of what you needed. You need to go back and you need to get it and you need to hold on to it tightly. When you repent, I redeem. When we repent, God redeems. We want God to redeem us. We want God to redeem our time. We want God to redeem whatever. When we turn to him, then he can do his thing. Amen? And so that's what he was getting at. You've let go of what you needed. Go back, get it, hold on to it tightly. And in Philadelphia, he tells the church, you were tired of holding on. And what you need to do is just tighten your grip. Just tighten your grip. Tighten your grip. So here we have two churches that are hanging by a thread. Life can get this way for us. What do we do when we feel like, man, we're just hanging by a thread? It's like, I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how much more I can handle. I don't know how much more I can deal with. I don't know how much more I can go through. I don't know how much more can come my way, and I still stand. And things go on and on and on and on and on, and we can find ourselves hanging by a thread. What do we do? When we find our life hanging by a thread, we need to just get a hold of what we need to get a hold of. We need to get a hold of what we need to get a hold of. Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, these three things last forever. Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, and love. Hold fast to faith, hold fast to hope, hold fast to love. Look at this verse here. Hebrews 4.14 in the Passion says, So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king, a priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty or in our weakness. So then cling in faith to all we know to be true. When life is like a thread, when we're hanging by a thread, what we need to make sure we do is go back to what we first learned and hang on to what we've had, and that is faith. Faith has seen us through this ordeal, through that ordeal, through this situation, through that situation, and here's the thing, faith gets hammered and faith gets tested. But when that happens, faith then grows. What once used to take you down and you tackle when you go through it by faith. You go through something else, and you look at it, and you're like, wow. That used to get me, but that doesn't get me anymore. And that's how faith works in our life. And, Paul, and, and the writer of Hebrews tells us, not Paul, no one really knows. Uh, he, the writer of Hebrews tells us to cling in faith to everything we know to be true. I thought about getting the three biggest dudes in this church and stand up here and one call, be faith, one be hope, and one be love, and I throw myself on them and hold on to them and let somebody else try to pull me off, but I just didn't want to do that today. Because Tony Reed always gets pulled into that. And I'm, I'm going to give the guy a break, let him sit with his beautiful wife and take it easy, right? Just hang, just chill. Uh, so, But how many of you know that's how it is, and that's the picture that the writer tells us, that the Bible gives us, that when life 
is, 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 is like a thread, and we're just barely hanging on. We need to cling to, to our, we need to cling in faith to everything we know to be true. Everything we know to be true. Jesus did it. He said it is finished. And because of that, we can hold fast to it. Hope. Hold fast to hope. Hebrews 10, 23. Look at this verse. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Because God can be trusted to keep his promise, that gives us the ability to hold fast to hope. We can hold fast to hope because we hope in the God who keeps his word. Amen? God never fails. We, we say it, we read it, we sing about it. All of those things are not supposed to be just empty statements. But those are statements, those are scriptures, those are verses of God's holy word that declare who he is. God keeps his promise. And because he keeps his promise, we are called to hold tightly without wavering in, in hope. Hold on to hope. We're called to hold fast to faith. We're called to hold fast to hope. And we're called to hold fast to love. Look at this in 2 Timothy 1.13. It says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you learned from me. A pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Catch what he's saying. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching or truth that you learned from me. That's a pattern that is shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. The love we have for Jesus shapes the pattern of truth in our life. The two greatest commandments that sum up all the commandments are the one, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So as we love Jesus with all that is within us, the pattern of truth gets shaped inside of our life. Loving Jesus creates this pattern for truth to be developed and shaped on the inside of us. What kind of life am I called to live? What does Jesus want me to do? How does he want me to think about that? How does he want me to approach this? How does he want me to tackle that? How does he want me to handle this person? How does he want me to deal with this issue? Truth. How does truth get shaped and built up in your life? When you love Jesus more than you love anything else. When you put your hope and your faith and your anchor into the rock, and that rock is Christ, then the pattern of truth begins to take shape on the inside of you, and then your life begins to resemble and mirror the image of Jesus in this cold, dark world. He is light, he is life, he is truth, and he is the way. What do we do when, our, when, we, when we find our life in places where we feel like, man, I'm just hanging on by a thread? We need to get a hold of what we need to get a hold of. We need to hold fast to faith. You need to not lose your faith in the midst of a dark and stormy night. You need to hold fast to hope. 
You need to keep hoping. The Bible says hope against hope. Hope does not disappoint because of the love of Christ that has been shed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Because of what he's put inside of us, we can have hope. And I know for some today, you may be feeling like, man, I don't really have any hope at all because I thought I was hoping and it didn't work out. And now I'm left in this, in this situation, in this turmoil, in this position. Hold fast to hope because God can be trusted to keep his promise. And hold fast to love. Love in Christ shapes this pattern. There are some patterns that God has instituted that just don't change over time. Not fashion, not trend, but pattern. Patterns. I read this story about a pastor and his wife many, many years ago had taken their first pastor at a church. And they arrived in town, and the deacon was driving them around, and they were talking, kind of looking at the town and everything. And somehow the conversation got on the pastor asking the deacon, what, what kind of pastor do you, do you guys hope to have in me? What have you been looking for? And he kind of thought maybe the, guy, the deacon would say, you know, I, we, we wanna, we, we're just looking for a pastor, you know, who, 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 will, who will be able to just teach the word and maybe looking for a pastor who will, you know, who will maybe visit us when we're not feeling well or, or you know, pray for us and uh, a pastor who can, who can lead a good building campaign to get us our... Our, our fun center that we've been needing. But that's not what he said. He said, I, we're really, you know, honestly, we're looking for a pastor who just has some smoke in his chimney. He's like, what are you talking about? Smoke in my chimney? What do you mean? It's like, you see, you see that house over there? Yeah, it's got lights on. You see the smoke in the chimney? Yeah, that means there's life. See that house? Same thing. You see that house? It's... Yeah, he goes, that's going to be y'all's house. That's the parsonage. It's dark. It's empty right now. He said, I drive by this street every morning on the way to work early when it's still dark outside, and I want to know that when I drive by my pastor's house, I see smoke in his chimney. Because he says, I know when, my, when there's smoke in his chimney, there's going to be a fire in his heart. And he said, it's only a matter of time that, that when I know my pastor's got smoke in his chimney and God's got a fire in his heart, that it's just going to be a matter of time that that fire's going to get in my heart. And that fire's going to get in so-and-so's heart and so-and-so's heart and the rest of the church's heart because I know when my pastor's praying and he's got smoke in his chimney, the fire can't help but spread. He said, Pastor, that's what our church needs most. We love a good preacher. We love a good visit. We love a good prayer. And we love the building that we might be blessed with. But really, we need the fire of God to burn in our souls, Pastor. And he says, I'm looking for a pastor who will just have some smoke in their chimney because thou know there will be fire in his heart. And I got to tell you, as Thomas attested, that if, you ever, if you've never been in this position, you, it's kind of hard to fathom what goes on in the mind of a pastor. Because there are many a days where you don't want to get up and actually light the fire to put smoke in the chimney. Because you'd rather just sleep. Because you're just so disappointed or discouraged. Or you just so tired but I got to be honest with you on the days that I decided to figuratively light the fire and put a smoke in the chimney God always visits 
God always visits. Friends, when you, when you dare make that sacrifice to just light the match and start a fire and put smoke in your chimney, God will always visit you. He will always visit you. Don't let circumstances, don't let the weight and the pressure of life and the way you feel stop you from building a fire in your chimney because the Lord will always come and He will always visit you. That's a pattern that doesn't change. In the last, I, I got five minutes to wrap up and then we're going to come to communion. I probably had you come a tad too early. I'm sorry for that. You could, I think it would be great if you just played behind me. Make me sound better. There is an, a, there is an original pattern that God started. That he started with his first church. I believe that pattern was never meant to be moved away from. And when you look at this pattern, you're going to look at it, and you're going to see it, and you're going to realize, man, that's it? It didn't look like there was a whole lot to that. But isn't that just like the Lord? That oftentimes we think there just isn't much to it, but when He gets involved in it, He makes it big. He makes it amazing. I'm so glad that a seven-year-old boy can look at me and say, he does the right things. Because I got to tell you, man, there's some days, man, I don't feel like I do the right things, brother. And there's this pattern. They started with the first church. You can read about it in Acts 2. Peter preaches his first sermon. I remember my first sermon, the ABCs of salvation. It was less than five minutes, and they gave me 15 minutes to preach it. At the first church of the Nazarene in West Memphis, Arkansas. Peter preached his first sermon and 3,000 people got saved. And you know what the first thing they did? They established a pattern God did with them. There's four things. It said they gripped truth. They grabbed a hold of the apostles' teaching and they didn't let it go. In other words, they, it, what God had to say mattered more than what anything else had to say. said they devoted themselves. They took a hold of truth. Challenge. I have a challenge for all four. Challenge. Would you just dare put away news, social media, any Snapchatters in the room? Instagrams, you name it. Would you just dare put away that for one week? And then turn your attention to truth and just see what happens. See what happens. They gripped another thing. They gripped and took a hold of fellowship. Now, this is a different meaning than what you and I probably give it today. 
as in, hey, let's hang, let's fellowship. It had a deeper connotation to it. The word Greek, in the, it means koinonia, it, and it means this, an association. Listen to this. An association of close mutual relationship and involvement with one another. They gripped koinonia. They gripped fellowship. It implies intimacy and trust. It, 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 it goes on to share to mean they shared material goods in harmony instead of hostility with one another. Think about that. Fellowship. They gripped fellowship. Challenge. Challenge. Would, would, would you reach out and connect with another member of the church body here at New Life Church beyond the scheduled routine of gatherings? I know we all have our personalities, and we, some of our personalities are like, I sure hope nobody calls me and shows up at my house anytime. Or if somebody invites me out or over, I have to think of a quick excuse as to why I can. Then we have the over-extroverted kind. Man, we, we, we're close talkers, and we're right there in front of our face. And we got a pocket full of mints because we're right there. We're in your face. I bounce back and forth. I mean, I go one extreme to the other extreme. But the challenge, the pattern, would you do that? Just If you can't this week, because I know we all have, we already got stuff planned. But if you could, maybe start with next Sunday after church. Set it up to say, hey, would your family like to go to lunch with my family? Doesn't mean you got to pay for it unless you want to. Start somewhere outside of the normal scheduled routines. They held fast. They gripped this pattern. The next one was prayer. They prayed with each other. They prayed for each other. It implied that they had one another on their heart and their mind regularly. Meaning, the, so and this is 3,000 people. So-and-so was on so-and-so's heart, so they prayed for so-and-so. I've said this a lot over the last several years. A praying church, a church that prays together, stays together. And a church that stays together, grows together. Challenge. Would you pray for seven people in our church over the next seven days. I don't think I even know seven people. <laughs> There's more than seven here today. You can get seven names. And you may not even have to know them directly. Just say, I'm going to pray for you. Take seven people and pray for them over the next seven days. And then let them know that you prayed for them. Let them know you prayed for them. And then lastly, it's what's on these two tables. They held fast to communion. And I have a challenge for that in a moment. 
I told you that when you looked at this pattern, it's really not a complicated pattern. To look at it, it just is like, really, that changed people's lives? Yeah, you want to know what the results were from doing that pattern? Because the church at Sardis and the church at, the church at Sardis had let go of that pattern, and the church at Philadelphia was loosening their grip on that pattern. You want to know what the results of that holding fast to that kind of pattern did? It says the church lived in the fear of the Lord. They didn't care what man said. said they saw signs and miracles and wonders happen. Meaning those who were really sick got really well. Those who were hanging on by a thread physically were no longer hanging by a thread. They were well. It said they experienced unity. And they applied their gifts to serve one another and meet needs. And it said this, they practiced evangelism that led to salvation a whole lot. I kind of think we probably all want to have those patterns, that, that, those results in our life, right? We all want to have those kinds of results. I want to see my life honor the Lord first. I want to see the miracles of God performed. I, I, I want to have unity and harmony. I want to be welcomed, and I want to welcome others. And I want to serve to meet needs. And I want to see the lost come to be found in Jesus' name. That's the pattern, the original pattern that God started. The church at Sardis and the church at Philadelphia had weighed from it and were letting go of it. And the challenge for communion is this. Communion, the elements, the bread representing the broken body of Christ. said, I break my life for you to make you whole. The cup of the juice is the, signifies the blood of the new covenant. He said, I shed my blood so that you can be forgiven of all your sins. And every time we take the bread and, and, and partake of the cup, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. Challenge, if you can stand. Standing wasn't the challenge. Some of you may feel like that's the challenge, but it's not. That wasn't it. Sorry, mislead you there. The challenge is this. When you come to take the communion elements today, you'll take the bread and dip it in the cup, but before you eat it, I, the challenge is this. Join with someone else besides the same people you always join with. If you're with, if you're as a family, then join with another family and partake of those elements together. Get in a little circle, say a prayer, thank God for what He's done for you, and remember the sacrifice of Jesus together. These were the four main anchor points to the pattern of God's church. And they should still be the anchor points of the pattern in today's church. Truth, fellowship, prayer, the Lord's table. Let's bow our heads and we'll come to the table. Lord God, you have been so good.
You have been so good to us. You always chase us down and run after us because you love us, not because you don't like us. You love us so much you want to be with us and you want us involved in what you have created us for. So today, Lord, where any one of us might feel like, man, we're just barely making it, hanging on by a thread. Today, God, let us get a grip on what matters most because if we'll grip the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the threefold cord that is not broken, our lives won't fall apart. Our lives won't melt away. Our lives won't be blown away by storms. Our lives won't collapse like cards. Our lives will not falter like sand. Lord, we will be strong and we will be mighty and we will be able to do all the things you've called us to do. So today, at this moment in time, remind us of what we need to get a hold of. And may we not let go. In Jesus' name, amen.